our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. And as we come before you, Almighty Father, in worship, may we hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And may our hearts be made ready to worship you when we read your words. Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Our Lord has called us to worship and now greets us with these words from the book of Jude. To those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Um, if you turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians 2, our first scripture reading today will be 2 Thessalonians 2. And now, beloved of the Lord, hear the words of our Lord. 2 Thessalonians 2. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they must be, they so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this He called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Thus says the word of our Lord. Our 
scripture reading this morning is from Genesis, Genesis 6, 1 through 12. If you turn in your Bibles, please, and follow along as we go through the message this morning. Genesis 6, 1 through 12. Come now before the Lord to hear his holy, inerrant, and inspired word. Genesis 6, beginning with verse 1. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Thus says the word of the Lord. Do you ever think about why the flood? And what I mean by that is, why did God send judgment upon the earth, leaving behind eight people and a boatload of animals? I tend to think most everyone has in one way or another answered that question for themselves. I've heard people explain the reason for the flood this way. Leading up to the flood, man had become exceedingly wicked. So God found one man worthy of saving from judgment in order to kind of start over with creation. Maybe you've heard that as well. But just in case, I'd like to point out, after the flood, what God said concerning those eight who came off the ark, including and concerning all of mankind ongoing after the flood, found in Genesis 8, verse 21, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Those eight who are the only ones left alive at the time God spoke these words and ongoing, all people ongoing, including those eight, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Not maybe evil, not sometimes is evil, but meaning the intentions from a dead heart are continually evil from our youth. All are born with a spiritually dead heart, a heart of stone. So before the flood, Genesis 6-5 in our text today, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually after the flood, Genesis 8.21, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. We'll look at this again in today's message, but just to point out before we get started, the sinful nature of all of mankind was the same prior to the flood and is the same after the flood. Although we happen to know the rest of the story, God provides the remedy and all of mankind will remain in the radical sinful nature unless or until God creates a new living heart replacing a heart of stone by creating a heart of flesh. But returning to the question I intend to answer this morning, why did God interrupt his biblical narrative at that particular point to highlight the wickedness and judgment of man? Now consider, God reduced mankind down to eight people, just eight people and a boatload of animals. Creation was eight people and a boatload away from the end. Why? What does God want to reveal to us? So this morning we'll look at three points from our text to help us, help guide us. Our three points, the iniquity of the wicked world, God's resentment of man's wickedness, and the special favor of God. Again, just because this is so important, God reduced creation to eight people. Those eight, we are told in Genesis 8.21, after the flood, those eight remained corrupt in sin, and all mankind from those eight were repopulated, repopulated the earth, have remained corrupt in sin, to the degree we are told that the intention of man's heart is evil continually, beginning from birth. The sinful, radically corrupt nature of man remains intact, from fall to final judgment, unless or until. Follow along in your Bible. We'll begin with Genesis 6, 1 and 2. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Why was this a problem? God reveals immediately after the fall found in Genesis 3.15, let me read, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. After the fall, God has determined there to be two lines of offsprings, or two seed lines. The seed line of the kingdom of the devil, the sons of men, and the seed line of the kingdom of God, the sons of God. God determined to put enmity between the two seed lines, an ongoing conflict between grace and corruption, a conflict waged in the hearts of God's people. The devil, through the corruption of, this, of his seed line, will assault, sit, and seek to devour the seed line of the kingdom of God. Now the devil learned how to best corrupt mankind. When he, in the garden he, he tempted Eve. And from that point on, the devil has learned to maintain a constant echoing over the face of the earth. Those four deadliest words ever spoken. Has God indeed said? Not only that, but sinful man is constantly presented 
constantly tempted with tangible appeals to sin, like the fruit of the forbidden tree. Things that appeal to the sinful nature of man after the fall. In order to inflame the threefold sinful nature, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, in this manner, the devil works to corrupt the hearts of those belonging to the seed line appropriately named the sons of God. Just as the devil tempted Eve, leading to Eve seeing that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant, it was beautiful and desirable, so she took the forbidden fruit. It appears in the same manner the devil, the devil intends to corrupt and put an end to the plans of God. The plan spoken of in Genesis 3.15 when God proclaimed his promise of a seed line leading to the ultimate destruction of the devil's scheme and the victory of the kingdom of God to the glory of God. But now we find in Genesis 6 our text today an account of the devil's scheme intending to corrupt the sons of God. The seed line of the kingdom of God. We find what appears to be a parading of the daughters of men in the sight of the sons of God, so that seeing the beauty of the daughters of men, the lust of the eyes would be so inflamed, leading to the sons of God to take and marry the daughters of men. The devil, knowing full well the corruption that would follow. Verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. We see here the displeasure God has with the ensuing corruption brought on by the marriage of the daughters of men with the sons of God, the mixing of the seed lines. We read of God's displeasure with sin leading to God's spiritual judgment. My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. However, God has determined a period of time a forbearance or putting off of judgment. And in this case, we know that judgment to be the flood. But God, from the time He declared His judgment in verse 3 in our text, has determined a period of forbearance of 120 years. Verse 4. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God came into the daughters of man and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Here we are given further details of the extent of corruption in the world. You know, we see some Bible translations render a transliteral name Nephilim from the original word found in the text, Nephil, meaning giant. We are to understand there were powerful, mighty men on the earth at that time who were no doubt terrorizing the land, arming themselves, surrounding themselves with others in order to trample upon the weak and take what they desire. We are also told powerful, mighty men who terrorize the land will also be found after the flood. There were giants on the earth in those days and also afterward. An indication that mankind will continue after the flood. Continue to follow along, verse 5. 
the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So back to the point I began in the introduction. God has allowed the wickedness of man to become great in the earth. We need to remember after reading verse 5 that even though every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually, God's common grace may restrain the extent of the wickedness of man, or God may allow the wickedness of man to go unrestrained. All things take place in full dependence upon God, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God's providence governs and controls all that transpires in His creation. God so determines when someone is born, where they are born, the family they are born into, the time they are born, and God so determines all that takes place during the time that person is alive. But the point we find in our text is to remember, both before the flood, that every intention of thoughts of the heart was only evil continually, and after the flood, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth, Notice, I believe Scripture very intentionally emphasizes that man's heart remains radically corrupt from the time before the flood and then continuing after the flood. In our text today was was only evil continually, just Genesis 6-5, referencing before the flood. Then, finally in Genesis 8-21, a switch in reference was only continually, evil continually, to the ongoing condition of the heart of man during and after the flood by using the reference is only evil continually. I believe God wants to make this perfectly clear. The radical corruption of man in our fallen state is unchanging, perpetual, just in case we may think somehow man got a little better after the judgment of the flood which in and of itself would be an evil thought. For added emphasis, jumping ahead to verse 11 and 12, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. I believe that any sane person who studies history History, up to and including this day, today, will recognize what is being described in verse 11 and 12 has been and continues to be perpetually true. The earth is corrupt and filled with violence. Not utter corruption and not utter violence to the very extreme of sin. That would lead to man wiping man off the face of the earth. But God, by His grace, He restrains sin, protecting sinful mankind from self-destruction. Here we find the first answer to why God sent the flood. I believe the flood was intended to, first of all, to demonstrate God's mercy. We see the effects of unrestrained sin in verses 11 and 12. The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. 
all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Unrestrained sin that was at that time leading to mankind to self-destruct. It was necessary for God's mercy to step in with the judgment of the flood to halt the destructive power of unrestrained sin. So here we actually find God revealing two things by the flood. The destructive effects of unrestrained sin and a demonstration of God's mercy. As I said, that any sane person who studies history, history up to and including this day today, will recognize what is being described in verse 11 and 12 has been and continues to be perpetually true. The earth is corrupt and filled with violence, not to the extreme of unrestrained sin, but still corrupt and filled with violence. Now, it is also said, the insane person is the one who believes doing the same thing over and over will produce different results. Case in point. Man attempting to correct over and over his radically corrupt, fallen, sinful nature has never and will never produce the desired result of peace, contentment, harmony, trust, love. You get the picture. Yeah, I'd like to point out one more thing concerning the radical, corrupt, simple nature of man, because I believe this is at the very core of what God is revealing to us by the account of the flood. Man does not change after experiencing God's judgments and punishments. Individually over the course of man's life, collectively over the course of history, God's judgments and punishments may be poured out time after time after time. But the sin nature, the radically corrupt nature of man, beginning with the fall, is perpetually the same, no matter the judgments. No matter the judgment God sends, no matter the punishments God sends. We see in Scripture, and we know by exploring history, there may be war, famine, pestilence, poverty, grief, pain, suffering, the threat of death, they all come and go. <clears throat> no matter the judgment, no matter the punishment, God pours out upon man, individually, nationally, worldwide, judgments, punishments, do not correct the radically corruption of man's heart. The degree of a man's wickedness may ebb and tide and ebb and flow. Man may very well act less wickedly or maybe more wickedly, kind of depending. But every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. For that matter, according to God's word, there can never be a level of intellectual achievement, no level of scientific studies and breakthroughs, no level of technological advancements, no social or moral overhaul, no laws or ordinances put in place, no matter anything of man, man cannot correct the defect of the sinful heart. Wickedness may have been flow, but the radical corruption of man from the fall is perpetually that every intention of the thoughts of the heart is only evil continually unless or until. Look at verse 6. 
<clears throat> God resents man's wickedness. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him in his heart. This is an anthropomorphism. A way of presenting an understanding of God by using human terms. So when we consider what, is, what it means that the Lord was sorry and that he was grieved in his heart, we must maintain with any considerations God's immutability. God does not change. Therefore, we can consider there to be no thing man can do to cause a disturbance in the eternal, unchangeable mind of God. Man did not and cannot achieve a level of wickedness that causes, let me repeat, causes God to be sorry or to grieve in his heart. What God intends for us to understand is God's just and holy displeasure with sin and with sinners using terms we can understand. We are able to understand when we are loving, we're caring, we're kind, merciful to someone who then turns upon us. Someone who after receiving nothing but love and kindness from us insults us, abuses us, wrongs us. We understand what it means to be sorry we have befriended such a spiteful, mean person. We're grieved to the heart. We understand in human terms. In addition, we need to understand that for God as creator, as the ultimate authority over his creatures, God has every right to pour out his judgment. Once again, in human terms, we're able to understand a justice system that proclaims judgment upon a person who harms another, judgment upon anyone breaking the law. Therefore, we know it is just, and God remains just when he proclaims his justice. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy things, and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. However, considering the promise made in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, the seed line of the devil would be defeated by the seed line of God, we seem to have come to a paradox. Something that appears to contradict the promise of Genesis 3.15. Bringing us to verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Out of all of mankind alive at that time, God chose Noah to be a vessel for his mercy. God chose Noah for his special favor in order to fulfill the promise made in Genesis 3.15. God poured out his grace upon Noah, equipping Noah to be a righteous man, equipping Noah with sons, equipping Noah with knowledge, wisdom, all the skills necessary to build an ark. The ark, another vessel of mercy. Reading further, God's grace upon Noah, verses 9 and 10. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day in the garden. Enoch walked with God. Here we find Noah walked with God because Noah was a righteous man. He loved God. 
How pleasant it must have been for Noah to walk with God. Walk with God in the middle of a corrupt society, a violent society. Let me point out, for all who love God, how pleasant it is to walk with God. To know God, the one true God. To be at peace with God. To have access to God. To worship God. How pleasant it is for those who love God. To proclaim a fallen, to a fallen, corrupt, violent world the truth of God. Just as Noah did. We find this in 2 Peter 2.5. Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness. Now returning to the question I began with, why did God send judgment upon the earth, leaving behind eight people, just eight people and a boatload of animals? I believe God intended to show the extent of the grip that the fallen sin nature has upon mankind and a foreshadowing of God's one redemptive plan to save a people for himself out of the entirety of fallen mankind. God's one plan of redemption to send His one and only Son who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people zealous for good works. We understand from our text today Noah was zealous to build the ark and to preach righteousness. Let me conclude with this. Since the fall of man in the garden God has revealed to us that every intention of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continuing. And God has taught us that no matter how many times, no matter how hard man tries, over and over and over, man cannot correct the defect of the radical corruption of the heart. God has also taught us that no matter the judgments, no matter the punishments, he himself pours out on man in the wake of all the judgments and punishments the defect of radical corruption of the heart remains. Enough years have passed, enough judgments poured out, enough punishments given, enough learning and advancement. Advancements. It is utterly insanity to believe there is still hope for a world to be without wars, famine, pestilence, poverty, grief, pain, suffering, disease, corruption, violence, death. Sin, when every indication points us to the reality, there is no hope. No hope unless or until God steps in. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God steps in the time. Jesus, born of a virgin. We have it in our confessions, Heidelberg Catechism, answer 35, that the eternal Son of God, who is and continues true and eternal God, took upon himself the very nature of man, of the flesh and blood of the virgin, Mary, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, so that, he might also be the true seed of David. Jesus, truly man and truly God, in fulfillment of the promise of Genesis 3.15. The offspring, the seed of the woman, through the seed line of the sons of God, 
Because as we have seen, there is no hope apart from God. God who demonstrates His righteousness by remaining just and at the same time becoming our justifier. Heidelberg Catechism 40 Because the justice and truth of God required the satisfaction for our sins could be made in no other way than by the death of the Son of God. Why? Answer 14. Because God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man committed, and further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin and redeem others from it. Jesus, who lived a perfectly righteous life, who had no sin, unjustly condemned to die, humiliated, whipped, beaten, nailed naked to a cross, not only suffering the pain inflicted by man, but taking in our place God's eternal wrath against sin. Why? So that, in exchange for our sin, we receive cleansing by His blood and covering by His righteous life. A covering for our unrighteousness with His righteous cloak provided by His righteous life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Faith worked in the heart of each one of God's people by the Holy Spirit in order they believe, in order they be sanctified, in order they be justified, in order they be have peace with God, to have access to God, rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We are redeemed beginning with regeneration. Redeemed begins in a sinner when they are born again. With a growing heart of flesh, a heart no longer bound to having every intention of the thoughts to be evil continually. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. A new heart. A new creation in Christ Jesus. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared, prepared before Him that we should walk in them. Beloved. Walk in those good works which God has prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Walk with God. Walk with your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. We make much fanfare over earthly royalty, kings, queens. If you're in Christ, you are in the kingdom of God. Walk therefore with the highest, most loving and precious king. Precious king. The living eternal king who reigns and rules over the entire earth. Walk zealous for good works. Walk with the Lord. Amen. Once again we come before the Lord in prayer. Almighty God, graciously grant that your word, which we have heard, may be inscribed inwardly on our hearts. Fill our hearts with your desires, desires that are well suited for your plans and the purposes you have for our lives. As we have received your word meekly with pure affections, may our hearts be filled with love emanating in awe and reverence for you, and may we glorify you in all that we do. 
cause us to bear the fruit of the Spirit and to live in holiness, diligently following Your commandments. Create in us that which is pleasing to Your love so that we may engage in the greatest activity any human may engage in, loving You, Almighty Father, with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And may it please you to use us to lead those who are lost, wandering and confused into the way of truth and to love you. All this we pray pray for the honor and praise of your name through Jesus Christ our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit.